Let's pray together. As we turn now to go slightly more deeply into your word and the story of Moses, we're hardly going to cover that in one service, one Sunday morning. But as we turn our minds to that, we do pray for the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. We need your help, O oh God. I need your help to understand and to communicate. We need your help to understand and to communicate. And so we do pray, O oh Holy Spirit, the teacher that we need, the counselor, the comforter, but also the one who challenges and takes from Jesus and makes him known to us, inform our minds and deepen our love for you, we pray, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I appreciate for many of you not the slightest interest what goes on over, I can say this because um, Evan's not here this morning, but some of us, many of us are not the slightest bit interested what goes on across the, the Atlantic and the United States of America. Um, but some of us are, I know we, we talk about it and things come up and that country is now beginning to go in, beginning to go into the long process that is their election nearing for the next president of the United States. And what happens is that the two main parties, the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, have what they call primaries, which are meetings or elections at the beginning of next year, which, through the result of that vote, they have various candidates from their party. And so the person who gets the most votes and then has people at the convention of these parties later on in the year becomes the nomination to stand for the Democrat or the Republican for the presidency of the United States. And so it's quite a long process. They have these primaries at the beginning of the year. But even before that, they have various functions and dinners, various fundraising events. It is a big business standing for election. Indeed, if you don't have money, we're talking about millions of dollars. If you don't have money or access to money, then, well, you need to bother thinking about doing it because you just won't be able to have the you know, the various things, the advertising and all the rest of it that goes with it. And so there was a fundraising dinner. Some of you may have heard of this on the radio or television over the past week. There was a fundraising dinner held just at the end of last week in Iowa, which is one of the first states to have the primary election come January. And I think this is right. I could be wrong, but I think there was 13 people got up the reach. It was a long night. They got their dinner. Seemingly the food wasn't very good, but they got their dinner at this hotel. And people who were Republican voters turned up, had their dinner, and then 13 people got up and they had, I think it was 10 minutes, or maybe it was 5 minutes, maybe 5 minutes each, to stand up and to say why they should be voted for, why they should be supported, and why their name should go forward to be a candidate for the Republican Party for the United States. Of course, Mr. Trump was there. And if you want to, you can go online and find out the line he took. You maybe won't surprise many of us the line he took. Of the 13, including the one who's probably his nearest um, contender, the fellow called Ron Santos, I think it is, um, who's the governor of Florida, they, they made no comment about Mr. Trump's issues with the law courts. But one of the candidates did. Now, I'm going to mention the man's name. You'll probably never hear of him again. I highly think he's ever going to be likely to be standing for public office, certainly not in a big way. His name is Will Hurd. But if you want to, you can go in line. And he really, he stood out from the crowd 
Basically, he's saying, you go and like listen to this. He said, the only reason that Mr. Trump's standing for, remember, he's a Republican as well, so they're all in the same party. He says, the only reason Mr. Trump's standing for election is because he doesn't want to end up in the jail. And if we vote for him, then we're basically giving the election to the opposing party because a lot of ordinary middle-of-the-road people in the United States will say, well, I'm not going to vote for a crook. I'm not very keen on the Democrats, especially an old man like Jim, Joe Biden, but it's nonetheless better, you know, better the devil you know, we'll vote for him. Well, the man was effectively booed off the stage, was made fun of by Mr. Trump later on, and probably... As I say, his name will never appear on any ballot come the primaries next year. But I'd like to suggest to you this morning that it's precisely a man like that. I don't know anything else about him. He may have a big long list of convictions himself or whatever else you know that, but I don't know. But based on just that one thing, he is the kind of man that should be a leader. A man who's willing to stand up and not just say what you think people want to hear. Don't just fall into what you think people want, but actually are willing to speak the truth, to be contrary to the spirit of the times in which he is living. And at times to confront that, to call that out, to name it for what it is, and to be willing to face the consequences. It's interesting, as we touched upon last Sunday, and sometimes when we go through the prayer guide, I can imagine when we think, well, why does it jump from things, you know, from, you know, last week leadership, and, well, not leadership, last week Timothy, and false teachers, and then this week to, to Moses, and all the rest of it. And it can seem a bit disjointed, and I can appreciate that. But actually, if you think of the context, the whole point that we were touching upon, at least one of the main points last week we were touching upon, was Paul's passionate concern for Timothy, the next generation of leaders in God's church that, as he says in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 13, what you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And the letters, these pastoral letters are all about Timothy as the next generation of leaders are to guard the gospel, to stand on its truths, and to communicate that to God's people, even though it's not always going to be popular. Indeed, as we saw last Sunday were told that the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But for you, Timothy, for anybody living in such an environment, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry, which also included making sure that the next generation of leaders in the church guarded the gospel, the deposit of the gospel was entrusted to them. Leadership, not just in the political domain, in the wider world, although that is important, and how we're crying out for good leaders in our country. And pray for that, especially as we think of elections and everything coming up, that God would raise up good leaders in our nation. 
But within the life of the church, as we saw last Sunday, again the connection, the church is not removed from the world in which it lives, and so many of the trends and influences of the wider world begin to impact in the life of the church. So when it comes to leadership, in the same ways in many ways in the Western world, leadership is often very fragile and failing so sadly, and I say this as a leader in a small situation, Sadly, leadership within the church of Jesus Christ has been fragile and failing. And I, and I mentioned this before, I stand conscious that I bear responsibility for that as well. I kept quiet in a denomination that was increasingly going an opposite way when I shouldn't have. And so there's blood in my hands and failings in my part, my role. But as we face the challenges that we've mentioned here and people online listen to and reflect upon, so we need to pray for godly leaders. Leadership is something that many aspire to. But the truth is, few are gifted for. It's something ultimately that you're born to rather than train to have. Let me say that again, because that's not even popular within the church today. Not everybody would agree with that, so I'll say it, and I'll say it looking at the camera while I'm reading my notes. And you know, I don't always just read my notes word by word, but I'm reading this. Leadership is something that many aspire to, but few are gifted for. It is something ultimately which you are born to, rather than trained to have. And even that is countercultural in thinking of the church. The idea is that, well, we can train up anybody to be a leader. No, you can't. And that's one of the reasons the church is in a mess. The qualities and character and nature that is required to be a leader is something that God gives to the person and enables the person to have so that they can lead the flock of God. And we see that, and you'll be thinking, we're never going to get the story of Moses, we see that as we look at one or two, just very briefly. So turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32, and I'm going to write to the folk who organize the prayer guide and say, please just don't expect people to do Moses in a week, because that's far too much, even for a congregation like you that are used to sitting for a while and listening and things. We're going to pick up the story of the golden calf. I jumped over that. Moses goes up the mountain, gets the commandments, everything else happens, and then when he comes down, let's pick up the story from Exodus chapter 32 and verse 17. When Joshua, notice that even at that early stage, there was a Joshua, there was a young guy with him. And that is important great to have Robert with us this morning, and to nurture younger men and women, and to see them grow up, and to see them develop. And one of the ways we do that is by spending time with them. I mean, we don't always find it easy. I still remember James and Carolyn's son, Martin, having a few set twos in the car with them, um, especially when he came and tried to eat the fish and chips inside my car. And I told him that wasn't all. And I told him, remember a year or two later, another young man who was with us at the time, um, who's involved in leadership as an elder in a church, a United Free Church, but they were outside eating their chips. And I heard Martin saying to this fellow, don't even go near the car with that, because Bruce will not let you in. <laughs> so Joshua's there. We read in verse 17 of chapter 32. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is sound of war in the camp. 
And Moses replied, it's not the sound of victory, it's the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. And when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf, the golden calf, and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and lo and behold, he made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, who was supposed to be Moses' sidekick, and the chief priest in a sense, what did these people do to you that you led them into such a great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. And then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire. Out came this calf. That was a downright lie, by the way. Out came this calf. And Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. And then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. And the Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. And then Moses said, you have set apart to the Lord today, you have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. And the next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord, perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. And the Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. The poor man is up there and all that happens. And you can read more if you want when you get home. Read more of the story of the book of Exodus and all that goes on and the encounter with God and the getting of the commandments and everything else. And he comes down and bless Joshua, the young apprentice. He's, I think he's trying to be a wee bit more positive. I think probably he had an idea of what was going on as well. But he hears the sound and he's thinking nicely, you know. You know the, he's probably the kind of half full kind of person. You know, unlike me, I'm the half empty kind of person. But he's half full. But oh, it's, there's obviously war going on. They're under attack. And Moses says, oh, come on, Joshua, get a reality check here. It's not the sound of victory. It's the sound of defeat. Here's God's servant. What comes, what happens is he comes down and sees how quickly God's people, the people who have seen his mighty hand at work, and just think about that, the miracles in Egypt, the separating of the water, and bless part kids knowing the story, and the deliverance into the land, they've heard God's promise, and despite all of that, as soon as they're out of the country, they want to go back. I've mentioned before, we had the privilege a number of years ago now to visit Egypt, and we went into the temple at Karnak, 
And all the way it's set out, and very similar in some ways to Solomon's temple, with the Holy of Holies. And what's in the Holy of Holies of this ancient temple? Well, it's not the original one, obviously, but there is nowadays an altar with what? A bull calf sitting on it, the symbol of the gods of Egypt. But how quickly God's people forget the land of promise. How quickly they forget the word of promise going to be given to them. Indeed, the poor commandments, they get shattered because you're so angry. Very symbolically powerful for the fact that this is a covenant between a holy God who calls his people to obey him and to walk with him and to be distinctly different because of that faith from the nations round about. That's in ashes. That's broken because they have broken it. They've turned back to the gods of this world to the spirit of the age. Is that not what Paul's warning Timothy about in the world, but also in the church? Not just in first century AD, but 21st century Britain and the West and the world. Itchy ears for what suits their, you know, how quickly they turned. And Aaron was hopeless. He went with the flow. In fact, Moses challenged them. What did they do to you? Did they put you up against the wall? Did they tie you out in the desert? Did they hit you? Did they beat you? Did they, did they, well, well, no, they were just kind of complaining. Well, you know, my friends, I have to tell you, bless you, and you're not like this on the whole. I'm conscious somebody could be listening to this who might one day be your next minister. So I've got to be honest. But any church is going to have its challenges. There's going to be complaints. There's going to be moans. It's just the way we are, including the way the minister is. My wife will tell you that's very true. We're all at that. But how quickly that spirit, not the Holy Spirit, but that spirit of the world can take root, take hold. I remember saying to the office bearers after I came 24 years ago, after the carry-on that had been with Mr. White's incident, which I'm not going to go into now because some of you won't know what that, that is. You can ask me later. An attitude of most of the leaders then, very few of which are still sitting in the church today, was, oh, well, that's past. That's over and done with. That's it. And I said to them, I said, no, no, that's not it. You'll remember that, Alec, because you are one of the faithful folks that's still here. Bless you, brother. But, oh, no, that was it, because it was past. And I said, no, no, no. That spirit that was released, that contentiousness, that arguing, all the carry-on that you have, and you'll remember Alec and Jean and others, the few others, Agnes and other people of that sort. That just doesn't go away. That takes time. Time to settle and time to, you know. You let that in, and we'll go out very quickly. And here it happens. And Moses rightly is angry, not about himself, but the fact that the God who has been so faithful is now being rejected. There's a right, righteous indignation. I remember someone else, misguided, bless him, brother, stood there in front of the community and pointed at me and said, you'll be the ruin of this church. Some very sad and tragic things you'll remember happened to him, to his wife, to the family. Got to be careful. Got to be careful. But his anger and his challenge to Aaron 
leads them not to go in the huff, but to call for support. He stands at the entrance to the camp, verse 26, and says, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And the Levites rallied to him. The house of Levi set apart and go back and read the promises in Genesis. Again, you can see that link. We've looked at Jacob and all the rest of it and what happened there and Rachel and everything else. And the promise given to Levi that they would serve in the Lord's house and be his soldiers in a sense. Well, here they are rallying to the cause. They are faithful folk. And I think that's always important for a leader to remember that, you know, we're not all just giving up, you know. And I still remember that very much when we faced the challenge of standing up to the Church of Scotland and the leading and the faithful people, many of whom now are in glory. Jerry and Anne, Bobby, Mary, and others. Faithful people who rallied and said, no, this is the Lord. I'm not suggesting that we go about with swords, killing other members of the congregation. Of course not. But the point here is that they were willing not to allow family or fear or favor to determine what they did. They stood their ground and they were faithful, even if family members and friends and people who had been their best pals were, well, this case. <laughs> In other cases, they fall out and there's a separation. And again, I can think of situations, especially in Mr. White's time, when there was a barney in the supermarket over the counter between two people who once had been friends all about. How could you stay in that church with Ersley as the minister? And when shouted at, but the girls at the counter and Tesco's are safe as it was in those days. From a friend who said to the woman involved, I'll never speak to you again. She stood her ground. And that's the cost of standing your ground. And discipline takes place. And Moses intercedes. He goes back to the Lord. After telling the people what a great sin they have done, he goes back to the Lord. And just again here, before we sing together, what he says, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They made themselves gods of gold. Now please zap them, destroy them, Actually, God, you know, I'm not too bad. Why don't you make a people of me and my family? You know, what does he say? He's forgive their sin, but if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Speaking personally this morning, because I think it's important to do that. I still remember very powerfully someone. Let's see who it is. They're not in this congregation, but somebody who had a real love for, who was a follower of Jesus. And I remember praying, Lord, have mercy on him, because he had wandered far, wandered far. But actually, yes, and I've not been pious here. It was in my heart. If you can't be, then block me out, so that you may have mercy on him. That's the cost of leadership, my friend. In a sense, as we model Jesus, we do, not in a way of atonement, but we do bear the sins of others. We rejoice with those who rejoice, but we lament with those who lament. And we put ourselves in their place, conscious that we too are fallen and fragile. Forgive 
their sin. But if you don't, or if you can't, then block me out of the Lamb's book of life. No wonder Paul tells Timothy, don't be quick to lay hands on people and make them leaders. Let's sing together a hymn. Time's moving on. You're very good. Bless you, brothers and sisters. Time's moving on. Let's sing a hymn that speaks of the power of prayer, of intercessory prayer, we see modelled here by Moses. And one of the things that a leader also needs to remember that the people can get wearied. So we're not going to... We'll leave Moses part two to next week, okay? Moses part two next week. Abraham can wait till another time. But let's turn to prayer. And let's spend a few minutes reflecting on what we've already thought about and seen from the example of Moses. I'm going to read on, actually, just before we turn to prayer. There's a plague because of what they did. There's a consequence of sin in the camp. Again, we see that in the state of the church today and problems the church faces. That's like a plague consequence of what they've done, what the church has done. And especially within the Church of Scotland, we have friends who are in that denomination and are really struggling, really struggling. But read on. The Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord has said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you're a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. And if you want to read on the setting of the tent of meeting, Moses and the glory of the Lord, the tablets are renewed. Moses comes back down with a radiant face, and God in his mercy leads the people on. But repentance had to come first. Let's pray together. We confess our sins before you, O God. For no one is righteous, no, not one. And even as your people, we can sing songs and speak of prayer and of your might and majesty, and yet we let you down so often. And so we say sorry. And thank you that you do not deal with us as our sins deserve. Thank you that no one, nobody's going to come into the church this morning with a sword. And that thankfully a physical plague, we had the COVID, but a physical plague of the type that we hear here 
isn't going to fall upon us. But we don't take that lightly. That tells us how holy you are. And Lord Jesus, it reminds us that your church is precious to you. You love the church and gave yourself for the church. It is to be your bride, holy and spotless, without blemish. And those of us perhaps, and if we're not, well, now it's time we did become more aware of the wider church story in Britain today. We have to confess it's not always like that or in many places like that. And oh, Robert, our dear brother here in ministry, feels that deeply as he laments and is in anguish over the challenges within the Church of England. Those of us who are friends within the Church of Scotland, it's not just about closing of buildings. It's about the deep spiritual decay and decline within the congregation. We've got a friend, well, we've got friends whose son is also a minister, a man of 36 who's now off with depression getting counselling and medication because he's thinking of 30 years in the ministry. What will that mean for him within the kirk? So we pray for your church. We pray for leaders of your church. We thank you for our own denomination, which is far from perfect and has many challenges. But I do thank you, and Ian and others who are involved with the workings of the denomination, thank you that these are men and women who know you and love you. And we do pray that you will continue to raise up you leaders. We thank you for people like Nathan, who's got an influential role within our denomination now, as well as being a very faithful preacher and pastor in his church in Kilmore's Maxwell Church. And for the fruit of that, as that congregation is growing, we pray for Nathan and God Mackenzie and other younger minister and others that you're raising up at the last General Assembly. I got up and just tried, because I could sense there was a wee bit of a backlash to say to folks of my age and older, look, listen, we may not always agree with what they say, but let's listen and reflect and be positive and responsive. And how we pray that will be the case in our own little denomination. But we pray for the bigger church, for the Church of England, for the Church of Scotland, for the Roman Catholic Church and its tradition, that you would raise up men and women, men and women of faith, who are born to the task of leading your church on. They may, like Moses, not feel particularly suited for it. There may be a whole host of reasons why they think they can't do it. But you have a called and appointed them even before they were born to that task. And so clothe them with righteousness, fill them with faith, give them the wisdom that is beyond their own human understanding, and grant them in this day and this generation that courage to lead your people on. And we pray that for our own fellowship, that as we continue to think of the future here, that you already will have someone who will come in your good time to be our leader and our pastor and our preacher. Prepare the way for that, we pray. And as we pray that for leaders, so we pray that for the ordinary members of a fellowship and congregation, often tossed about, not because of their own folly, but because of the folly of their leaders. We thank you for our brothers and sisters, for those who are sitting round about us this morning, for those that we have fellowship with in other churches, within our community, and within different traditions. And we do pray for all of us, 
Whoever we are, whatever title or post we may or may not have, may we know that promise that if we lack wisdom, we are to ask for it with faith, not doubting, but believing, and we will receive it so that the people of God will be informed and enabled to live the life of faith in these days. And then, Lord, we bring to you what's in the order of service. And if you want to, you can open it up. Even while we're praying, I don't think the Lord will strike us down if we open our eyes and look at the order of service. And I've put into the order of service this week part of the prayer guide, the prayer guide that Elizabeth works on and helps to produce. And the various things that are happening. The mission tomorrow, an issue mission in Fergusley Park. Some of us will know the name of the place. And the two-day mission, which begins in Canvas Lang, with Ross Murray and Andrew McAleese of the Reach Out Trust, good friends of Karen and Graham who are here. And pray for deepening relations at both. And for Ruth and Colin Sinclair, who are leading a holiday for Ukrainian refugee families at Alton Creek. Pray for much fun, learning together, interest in the gospel. Lord, I was hearing through Elizabeth that, you know, they're going, and yes, there is a basic program kind of thing, but they just don't know really what these Ukrainian dear families will want, how good their English is, what they're looking for, where they're at spiritually. There are so many different questions, and so as they've gathered and are gathering, so we do pray for wisdom and grace for Colin and Ruth and for others who will be involved in that. And we do pray for these refugees away from their home and their families. Aliens in a strange land. How we pray that during this coming week, those who have faith will be confirmed and encouraged in that faith, and those who don't have faith but are seeking and searching, just wondering what on earth is going on, oh God our Father, open the door of heaven and pour out your blessing, we pray. Canvas Lang, Fergusley Park, Altna Creek. And in the quietness we gather now with each with our own thoughts, folks who are on our minds, situations on our hearts. Lord Jesus Christ, Hear us as we pray. Amen. I'd encourage you to use the prayer guide inside our order of service for this coming week. And I want to thank you as a congregation for your faithfulness in so many ways. Very dear to my heart. And I thank you for your willingness to listen for, well, that's nearly an hour and a half. But it is good, I trust, for us to be in the Lord's house on the Lord's day and to hear the Lord's word.